Modern medicine is advancing at faster speeds than ever before. Yet the world still sees the healthcare experience as difficult and dated. The Real Chemistry podcast shares interviews with industry leaders who are innovating in healthcare. Join Real Chemistry's Chief Marketing Officer, Aaron Strout, as he explores how AI and ideas can come together to transform healthcare into what it should be. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, Chief Marketing Officer of Real Chemistry and the host of the Real Chemistry podcast. And today we are broadcasting live from Las Vegas from the Health Conference. And we have a guest that you might be familiar with. She has joined us uh, before, about a year ago in May. Her name is Dr. Geetha Nayar, and she is not only a medical doctor, former chief medical officer of Salesforce, but current book author of a new title called Dead Wrong that speaks about the misinformation and disinformation uh, starting at the beginning of the pandemic, actually predating that and running all the way through uh, to today, how it's impacting us, what we can do, lessons learned. And during this conversation, we talk a little bit about the book, uh, why it's so important right now, why she wrote the book, how that's translated into her conversations here at the health conference, and uh, some updates on her favorite album slash band relevant to Las Vegas and the conference. So as always, we hope you appreciate this and sit down and take a listen. And if you have feedback, then uh, we encourage you to reach out and let us know. We are always looking to improve. Thank you. All right, Gita. Well, it's great to see you. And we're at the health conference here in Las Vegas. And uh, apropos sitting right outside of registration, you're looking fabulous. Um, it's too bad we only bump into each other at conferences, but at least we do get a chance to see each other at conferences. So welcome back to the show. Great to see you again. Thanks so much for having me, Aaron. And thank you for all the support over all the years. It's always wonderful to see you no matter where it is. Well, it's great to see you too. And you are a great partner in crime, uh, especially when we have events and getting good, smart people to show up at those events and speaking at uh, events that we've done. So last time we talked, so I encourage everyone to go back and listen to our podcast from a year ago, May, we were at the Life Itself Conference, and that was a blast in and of itself. Uh, Very different vibe than this, but a lot of smart people. During that interview, we foreshadowed a book that was coming out. And so the good news is by the time people listen to this podcast, the book will either have just dropped or will be soon to drop October 17th, I believe is the release date. And um, let's, first of all, let's talk a little bit about what you've been doing for the last 12 months, and then we'll dig into the book and we'll talk about some of your talks that you're giving here at the health conference. Again, Aaron, thanks so much for having me. Look, I've been consulting, I've been speaking and really focused on the book tour. So this is really the launch of the book tour, and I'm just so excited for everyone to read it and welcome, welcome your feedback. But I felt this was a really important topic and I wanted to, to get it out in the world. Well, it is a really important topic, and the name of the book is Dead Wrong, so very clever name. I remember early days, you sharing a few of the ideas with me, so I'm glad that you landed on that one. (laughs) And uh, just a little plug for you that you are, you know, along with the consulting and the book tours, you are speaking and doing book signings, and for anyone that wants to hear someone really smart that is a medical doctor and has done the chief medical officer thing, which entails a lot of different sort of well, you've been at Salesforce, you've been at AT&T, you've been at a number of big companies, right? And one of the things that was fun listening to our podcast from last time is we talked about the whole importance of some of the benefits now that companies are giving and what they do and why it is that they're employing chief medical officers. So we won't go down that path today, but Kita has a very rich history and knows her stuff. 
I do want to get into the book and then we'll talk a little bit about health and then we're going to reminisce a little bit about your album choice from the, uh, the island because it's apropos here. Uh, let's talk about the book. Like, what is Dead Wrong about? And let's talk a little bit about what inspired you to write it. So Dead Wrong is about myths and disinformation in the digital age, right? In the era of AI, in the era of TikTok, how do we as a healthcare industry tackle the problem and recognize the problem for what it is, which is really the undercurrent of everything happening between the patient and the physician? So I think anyone that lived through the pandemic, which is pretty much everyone in the world, uh, that won't come as a surprise from you. And I do want to dig into that AI piece because I think with the whole generative AI and deep fakes and the potential now, things got even crazier than the last time you and I talked. But let's talk about where are we now versus where we were May a year ago, maybe also juxtaposed versus the beginning of the pandemic where we had a president at the time who was sort of dead set, it felt like, on getting a lot of dis and misinformation out into the world, particularly on the healthcare front. So let's look back three-ish years ago, 18 months ago, or whatever that was, 15 months ago, and then to today. What does that look like? Well, look, we've made a lot of progress. First of all, we've had groundbreaking mRNA vaccines that were never invented or possible before. So as far as scientific innovation, as far as where life, the life science space has gone, we have absolutely innovated and there's no doubt about it. Now, the hardest part of the vaccine, the hardest part of the innovation was what? It was the communication. It was the last mile. You're a marketing expert. You know this. So the, the real question we have to ask ourselves and it is in a post-pandemic world where technology is abundant, whether we're talking about artificial intelligence, TikTok, uh, analytics, the ability to do virtual visits, what has really changed? And that human dynamic, that last mile is really the piece that we have to focus on. And we often forget that. We often forget that as we walk around and we see these cool gadgets and these cool possibilities that ultimately it is the human factor. And ultimately it's trust that makes people follow their healthcare regimen, follow a physician, follow whomever inspires them to command their health and take care of themselves. So two interesting things just to build on what you're talking about. Uh, one, for anyone that watches the morning show, the most recent episode, I think it's episode five, so there might be another episode or two out, gives you a walk back through the last three years. And it's kind of amazing in a not a great way, but just to relive like all of the things that happened, right? The wildfires, the pandemic, the misinformation, et cetera. So fast forward to today, and I'm actually in an Uber ride to the airport, and I have a guy who I, happens to be Russian, and I only say that because I think sometimes some of the Russians um, were not as good actors, right, during this whole thing, or there was a little bit of a different viewpoint of the vaccines and whether they would work. And so we were just talking about it and talking about wearing masks and talking about the vaccines. And it feels like one of the things that's a little bit tricky now is COVID is on the rise again, particularly in the East Coast. My guess is there'll be some outbursts here and there, you know, at big conferences like this. But I think people have this now sort of like superhuman feeling of like, well, you know, we have vaccines and we went through round one and, you know, people died. So it was bad, but doesn't seem like people are dying now. And so it's almost like a different kind of myths or disinformation where people are just sort of dismissing it. And long COVID is still a thing. Older people or people that are, um, you know, have health challenges are still as, they're, they're not as vulnerable because we do have things like Paxlovid, et cetera, but it is still an issue. So let's talk through that. Like as a doctor and as someone that's fighting dis and misinformation, how do we get people to take this seriously again 
to think about maybe going out and getting booster shots and to not be led around by the nose of like, this was just the government trying to trick you. I mean, also case in point, I don't know if you remember, there was that alarm that happened on our phones earlier last week. And there were people that speculated that that was the government trying to activate our mRNA in our bodies to send them information. So it, the disinformation is alive and well still. So Aaron, I've heard it all. That doesn't surprise me, right? I think the important thing to remember and why I really wrote this book is that myths and disinformation have been around forever. This is not new. And while we want to blame the technology age, we want to blame COVID, it's simply not not the truth. If you read in chapter one, I actually talk about when I was in my training. So many moons ago in my 20s at George Washington University, the HIV AIDS epidemic was at its peak. Every other patient was dying of AIDS, not HIV. And one of the biggest reasons were that they were misinformed. They were misinformed about the transmission of HIV AIDS. And I started out the book with my patient, Jerome, who actually says, I can't possibly have AIDS. I'm not gay. I was told you have to be gay to get AIDS. And so very, very similar to COVID was the concept of stigma, misinformation, the politicization of this information, and also a bit of a religious component, right? He belonged to the African-American community. The churches were giving a certain narrative. Public health was giving a certain narrative. And the underlying current was also trust. Jerome and his family trusted the church. They didn't really trust the medical establishment for really good reasons. Tuskegee being one of them, Henrietta Lacks being a second. So we have to now examine in the health information age. We're at a health tech conference, right? Technology is not the issue. The issue is how do we implement technology in a way that really powers the doctor-physician relationship? And by all means, be curious about your health. We want you to be curious about your health. Because at the end of the misinformation and disinformation train is a doctor that has to clean up the mess and meeting you in the emergency room. So thank you for that. I guess that brings us back to the AI point, because again, AI has been around for a long time, but generative AI, this, you know, sort of fueled by ChatGPT and some of these other um, mid-journey is becoming an issue, right? So not only from a, um, a written perspective, but also a video and image perspective, and people have already started to play around with this, and you can fake someone's voice, you can fake someone, you know, in a video or whatever, so it's hard to know what's real. What role is this going to play? Because I think that you cover this in the book in terms of how do we make sure that people aren't being led down the wrong path and believing what looks to their eyes in the smell test very much like a physician or a head of the CDC or whatever telling them that they need to do this and they shouldn't do that. Look, I think what happens next really depends on us, right? Those of us here, all of us as healthcare leaders, generative AI is a fantastic, powerful tool. I am just as excited about the opportunity of generative AI in healthcare, but healthcare has to lead. We have to truly understand the problems of today, which remain physician burnout, remain trust, remain access, right? How is trust built? Trust is built when you have a problem and I can consistently show up for you. If you try to make a doctor's appointment today in various parts of the country, that wait can be up to three to six months. So if you are leading a healthcare strategy, whether you're on the payer side, the pharma side, the life sciences side, you have to ask yourself, what are the fundamental problems in healthcare today? And can generative AI help or can it hurt? And it's very important that we look at this because I think there's incredibly low-hanging fruit. Prior authorization, 
put generative AI on that. Decrease the administrative burden for doctors. Allow doctors to be doctors, right? Generative AI to do documentation. We're so quick and ready to replace the doctor and replace the nurse when that's not really the issue. People want to see a human. They want to see their doctor. They want an empathetic doctor. But they're so buried, so burned out. So the question we have to ask is not can generative AI help us, but where can it help us and have the most impact? Because there's some really low-hanging fruit where today, if we were to just turn on solving prior off, we could save billions of dollars and we could decrease burnout and we could get appointments faster because doctors aren't now swimming in six months of paperwork and can actually see patients faster, improving access, improving the trusted relationship that we all want to see. And look, if you do not have a digital presence as a hospital, as a health system in today's world, you simply don't have a presence. So in the absence of the good players, in the absence of people who are accountable for the information they put out there, misfits take over, the troll farms take over. Um, AI can be used for a lot of bad things, and that's why it's really important that healthcare make it a priority. We weigh into the ethical use of artificial intelligence, and we lead the way for how AI should be used in a healthcare environment. Well, I love that. That makes sense. And I'd love to dive into some of the other prescriptive recommendations you have in the book, right? Because it's one thing to just cover, you know, yes, we know that there are a lot of bad things that happened, are happening, will continue to happen. Um, you've talked about some of the ways that we can sort of get better and we can fix it. But knowing that, you know, we're going into a presidential election year, knowing that there's still some bad actors and the government on both sides of the equation and that, you know, people are actively trying to mislead folks for a variety of different reasons. Like what can, what else can we do to help combat that? So number one, we have to help consumers make good decisions. We have to help them understand how to look for bad actors and where to go for good information. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, gee, how can I not be healthy today? I think that's one thing we learned from the pandemic is we all prioritized health and people are thirsty for knowledge. So helping the consumer be smart, helping the doctor also have a voice. I cover Cleveland Clinic in one of the chapters and really talk about how the chief marketing officer needs to work with the chief medical officer as well as with the CIO because really patient engagement, EHR adoption, value-based care, it's all connected. They might all have three different metrics, but they're actually all three aligned. And if marketing is just focused on, hey, we're at the quarter of 7th and 8th and we do appointments 24-7, and the chief medical officer is like, use your EHR doctors, use your EHRs, and the CIO thinks that all of their metrics are tech-related, that's the biggest disconnect. We as systems have to work together and realize that marketing and clinical and tech are connected and the roadmap has to be aligned to the same metrics. That's how systems change. There's absolutely a policy piece here, right? Until today, we've really left a lot of this up to the social media companies that build algorithms that are all about engagement. And guess what? Bad news travels better than good news. So we have to be very smart about how we look at this from a policy perspective and ensure that the right incentives are there for big businesses that are playing with people's lives when it comes to health information. And lastly, there's a lot we don't understand about artificial intelligence. There's a lot that we still have to look at and making sure that the clinical community, the healthcare community is weighing into ethical uses, weighing into the transparency, 
and also humbly going in a crawl, walk, run approach. I know we're all excited. I know that we are waiting for that silver bullet to fix healthcare. AI is not going to be the silver bullet. It's going to be one more tool that we have just like everything else. And we have to understand what we're dealing with before we can even think about the next step. Yeah, I don't think there's ever a silver bullet, right? And something you said reminded me of TikTok because it is a love-hate relationship that a lot of people have with TikTok. And it was interesting because we were, I don't know if you get a chance to see the session, but we were part of a session at South by Southwest. This is earlier this year. And it was with Health Talk, right? So it was with a client uh, from Estellas. It was with a doctor that's very active on TikTok. Um, and then it was led by one of our social media leads. And the interesting thing is they talked about the fact that you're right, there is bad news or misinformation that could easily travel and people just take it because it's online and, you know, that's accessible, that it's probably true. But it does have another benefit, which is it, it gives accessibility to a lot of people that maybe wouldn't be watching TV or wouldn't be going and seeking things out on the, on the web. So let's talk a little bit about the good side of what, you know, tools like TikTok do and how they can bring good information to people that maybe wouldn't normally see it. Look, every healthcare tool could be used for good or for evil, right? Whether we're talking about analytics and we're talking about biases in certain populations or the flip of that, right? The inverse of that and being conscious of social determinants of health and using analytics to understand those populations and better serve them in a personalized way. So there's no doubt in my mind that artificial intelligence could be something that is harnessed well to disseminate good information, proactive information. In fact, that should be our goal. And the same goes for TikTok. Look, there's some amazing physicians on TikTok. They've got cool dance moves. They've got cool raps. And they also are accountable. If you have a problem and you follow their advice, they're happy to see you. That is the holy grail. That is what Cleveland Clinic did. And that's what we need more of. And in the absence of that, that's when the misfits take over. So I actually think that we need to double down on social media. We need to double down on artificial intelligence, but we also have to keep people accountable. There have been clinicians spouting misinformation. There have been clinicians spouting misinformation and profiting off of supplements, profiting off of snake oil. We can't allow that. And that's the regulatory piece, right? We have to hold people accountable, particularly healthcare leaders that need to toe the line. And perhaps this is something we need to examine from a licensing standpoint. Yeah, it's a great point and something I think we don't hear a lot about. And I think people mostly assume that if someone's gone into the world of being a healthcare provider, doctor, nurse, that you're doing it for the right reasons. And I think most people do go in for the right reasons, but then you can get misled. Sometimes people see the money in front of them and think, what a great opportunity. I do want to dig into something else, though, and that is I think we learned during the pandemic probably more so than anything else because there was so little information about COVID and how to treat it and what it did. And, you know, again, this is watching that morning show episode of remembering people wiping down their counters and, you know, doing all these things, and some of which were helpful, some of which were not. But I think there's this concept of like triangulation, right? So it's one of the things I work with my kids on regularly, where it's like, if you're trying to figure something out, trying to stick with, you know, respectable sources, like going to Yahoo, going to BBC, going to Washington Post or whatever, but really sort of digging in and trying to figure out like, okay, this sounds right or this sounds crazy. So let's talk about that process. And I'm assuming you probably touch on some of this in the book of 
making sure that you're not just trusting one source, but you are looking and you're, val- you know, trust but verify, right? And making sure that you're looking around and if something seems too good to be true, maybe it is. Or if something seems like that's crazy, maybe it is, right? So tell us a little bit more about that. A hundred percent. And you know, the other piece to it is, is realizing that the human body is different. Everyone's human body is different. And that's why the personalization and the importance of having a physician is there because it's personalized care, right? Whereas vitamin D might be good for for most women, there are exceptions out there. And so keeping in mind that general guidance is always helpful, but ultimately we want to make sure that every patient has a physician they can count on for their own personalized care right? And not do emergency care and reactive care, which is what we do today. So a big part of this is actually education, health literacy, prevention. That remains the cornerstone of handling myths and disinformation. And it fits really well in a value-based care environment. The, The incentives are aligned. So why are our systems not approaching it as such, right? We talk about a patient engagement strategy. We talk about physician burnout. We talk about how are we going to do value-based care, but the undercurrent is mis and disinformation. The undercurrent, look, healthcare is a services business, right? You got a problem, can you answer my question? And so that's really what patients are looking for. No hospital system has a misinformation strategy or disinformation strategy, but they have a patient engagement strategy, right? And so you have to understand that this is the undercurrent that patients want. They ultimately want information they can trust, and then they want you to take care of them if that doesn't work out. So we work with a lot of life sciences companies, right? And I think a lot of life science companies in the med device, pharma, biotech worlds have woken up and realized that while they always set out to be patient-centric, there's a lot more that they can do. And I think a lot of them are waking up. And it feels like this can work hand in glove with some of what you're talking about, right? Which is to try to arm them with all the right information, you know, any recommendations for life science companies that want to do a better job or maybe someone that does a good job that you've thought about or met or talked to before? The best thing a life science company can do is to partner with their KOLs because ultimately they look to their KOLs for prescription lift, right? They're looking to the doctors to prescribe medications. And the best way to do this is to help doctors communicate with patients because we often are not incentivized to spend a lot of time educating our patients and getting them health literate particularly with new medications, right? So the best thing a life science company can do is give physicians tools to communicate, give information in simple language, relatable language, reachable language. And it's a twofold approach, right? There's the direct-to-consumer approach, but then there's also that physician piece that's really critical. And look, doctors are really good doctors. Communication is not necessarily the forte of most scientists. And so to the extent that that pharma and life sciences companies can help doctors bridge that gap, it's a mutual benefit. It's a mutual benefit for the life science company, the physician, as well as for the patient. Well, I like that. That's very prescriptive. I mean, look at the vaccine. Yes, true. We made a vaccine, right? We made multiple mRNA vaccines. Where did we fall down? The communication to this date. That's right. The COVID vaccine has now been here out several years. We can't get people to get boosted. So if I was a life sciences company, I would say, gosh, we innovated the heck out of that. We saved the world. One small thing, nobody wants to take the drug. And that's fundamentally the issue for life science companies. Yes, 100%. Uh, I do want to start to wind us down because I told you we'd do 10 or 15 minutes and we're now closing in on 20. We could talk for hours, but I know you have a schedule to keep. So two things. I want to talk a little bit about we're at the health conference. You're doing a couple of talks. 
what are you most excited about, you know, over the next couple of days? And then we'll close with a more fun question. Warren, first, I was most excited to meet you and do this podcast. So that's number one. Oh, flattery <laughs> will get you everywhere, but... <laughs> No, look, I think like always, I'm always so excited to see my colleagues and friends. I'm obviously really excited about the book. And so to physically be able to touch it and give it to people um, and talk about it is really exciting to me. And whether it's a talk on artificial intelligence, whether it's a talk on analytics or patient engagement, I feel it's relevant and I feel it's the elephant in the room that no one is talking about. So I'm excited to be the ambassador for this issue. I'm excited to raise it to the forefront and I'm hopeful that we'll find some solutions and be in a better place next year and the year after and the year after that. Yeah, I will make a little plug for health, uh, HLTH, for anyone that's not tracking on it. I think it's been around for five or six years now, started by a, a gentleman named Jonathan Weiner. Um, who did not come from healthcare, but he saw a void in the space of bringing all of the right parties together, right? There were conferences in the past like HIMSS and others, but they leaned too heavily either into like the technology or leaned too heavily into the life science companies. And this really is a great convening of academia, of government, of venture capital, of startups. And then, you know, there are tons and tons of these large pharma, biotech, med tech conference, or, uh, companies that are here. And so, it is one of those things where I think the talks are important, but it's the conversations that happen in the halls, right? Or the conversations that happen over dinner. We have one coming up that will be fun to, with a lot of really smart people. The end note that I want to land on is we are in Las Vegas and getting people to go back and listen to our original podcast, which I think you'll very much enjoy. Uh, I always ask people what their deserted island album is. And you picked U2, and I think you picked, um, what was the? Zoo Tour. Yes. So what's funny is we were here in Vegas and there's this thing called the Sphere and U2 is actually the artist in residence that is playing there. So I think you said you won't unfortunately have time to go and see that this go around, but any plans to maybe come back and, and check that out? I would love to. And, I, and I'm not changing my answer. Zoo Tour is still my, my album of choice and my, the first concert I ever went to. So I think you always have a special place. Although I have to say that I think Taylor Swift might be a close second because I'm an 11-year-old girl at home. Um, I wish. It sounds like you're going. So maybe I'll have to I'm think gonna about it. I'm going to go in two weeks. Actually, I'm going to come back to Vegas to see you too. And it's funny, uh, very soon thereafter, speaking of daughters, I have a 16-year-old. And due to the pandemic, she got a little bit short-circuited, and I'm taking her to see the artist SZA, S-Z-A. So not quite you two, cool. and I've never seen her, but will be a fun experience. So, cool you know, in dad. the vein of Taylor Swift, well, I try to do what I can to keep <laughs> awesome. her happy. So, Well, anyway, we'll wrap up on that. So thank you, Dr. Gita Nayar, Dr. G. Uh, she's coming out with her new book, which by the time you hear this should be out on streets. Let's uh, give you a plug. Where do you want people to go and buy the book? What's best for you? You can go to Amazon, Target, my website, Barnes & Nobles. It is everywhere at a retailer near you. And tell us your website, because I did notice that you are giving away a the first chapter. I think you have to give some information, but you can get the first chapter for free, which should hopefully be enough proof to get you to buy the book and, and uh, listen to or read the rest of it. That, that's certainly the hope, but drgeethanayer.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your conference, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks so much, Erin. Want more episodes of The Real Chemistry Podcast? Subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. We post a new episode every Thursday. Visit realchemistry.com for more info.